All right, so in this podcast, we are going to be talking about um, an immunity overview. And so I'd like to start out um, talking about some of the parts of the immune system. So the spleen, um, at, that acts as a filter for bloodborne pathogens. And you may think that there are some patients who've had to have a splenectomy where they've had their spleen removed secondary to like a motor vehicle accident or some sort of abdominal trauma. And so the thing to remember about that is if they are missing their spleen, <clears throat> they are at increased risk for um, infection. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is lymph nodes. Um, these are throughout the entire body. You know, you may have them in your cervical, under your arms, uh, your groin. And so they also act as a filter um, to help get rid of some of those um, <clears throat> infectious things that invade our body. Uh, tonsils and adenoids, of course, those are in um, our throat. They help to trap bacteria from um, bacteria that enters our body through the nose or mouth. And then another organ uh, that you may not think about <clears throat> is the thymus. And so the thymus helps to produce T cells. And T cells are part of the immune response system. And we'll spend more time talking about T cells later on. Um, another part of the immune system is the bone marrow. Um, our bone marrow helps to produce B cells also, which um, help to fight infections. And then the appendix, uh, most people think, oh, the appendix really doesn't do much for the body, but it does contain um, some immune system cells which help to protect good bacteria in the body. <clears throat> so um, also there's, there's those different types of cells which I've talked about, the T and B lymphocytes. Um, we'll talk more about these later on. Now with the T lymphocyte, there are three categories and um, there's the helper T cells. And these are going to be very important when we talk about HIV. And the helper T cells are also called CD4 cells. There are cytotoxic T cells and suppressor T cells. Now, another um, thing are phagocytes. And when you think of phagocytes, we have the macrophages and neutrophils. And so in my brain, what I think about is like a little Pac-Man um, who's gobbling up all the things that are really not supposed to be there. Now, our body produces um, antibodies or immunoglobulins in response to contact with um, viruses or infections or others. Um, <clears throat> it can also be um, from vaccination. So we can actually have direct contact with it, um, others who have the virus or disease, or we can have vaccinations for it. So think about the whole system and how things complement each other. But there can be times when there is an exaggerated response. And so when we're thinking about the immune system, we can either have um, immunocompromised people or we can have, um, which that would be a suppressed system, or we could um, have the exaggerated system. And I'll talk a little bit more about theirs. So there's some three basic types of um, immunity that I'd like you to know. So innate immunity is just what we have that's present at birth. It's not specific and it doesn't identify different antigens. So it's a first line of response. Then we can have what's called acquired immunity. And so acquired immunity is just like what it sounds like. We acquire it through 
um, <clears throat> and it's a specific type of immunity and it's acquired over time. So it's unique to each person and the antigen that they are exposed to the body and it's learned over time. Um, again, that exposure to the antigens by the body. <clears throat> now active acquired, this can either occur naturally or with immunizations. Now passive acquired occurs from either the transfusion of um, immunoglobulins or from uh, placenta to uh, the mom through the blood or via colostrum from breast milk. So that's some of the ways that we can get passive acquired. Now let's think about um, the immune responses. So I, I kind of talked about this, that <clears throat> the body can either have a suppressed immune response and that's where the body just doesn't respond adequately. And there are some, some types of people who are more at risk for this. So neonates, um, babies, they're going to have a, a suppressed immune system <clears throat> compared to you or I. Likewise, the elderly, <clears throat> their thymus tends to um, not work as effectively. It, it, it tends to degenerate some. And so they are going to be more at risk for um, not having an adequate response. Um, pregnancy, um, that can cause um, a decrease in immune response. And so um, there may, may be some certain foods that they may want to avoid. And then of course, some other things that can cause that suppressed immune response are, are diseases like HIV, leukemia, <clears throat> patients who receive chemotherapy, radiation, or think about all the times we've talked about steroids and how steroids have that decreased immune response and put somebody at an increased risk for infection. <clears throat> so if somebody is immunocompromised, we're going to need to do some special precautions to help protect them. And we'll talk more about that. Now, there are times that somebody can have an exaggerated response. And that's when the body has too much response, basically, or the body's in overdrive. <clears throat> so think about an allergic reaction. Um, <clears throat> somebody who is exposed to peanuts and they have the allergy. There's a wide range of symptoms that can happen from just um, some minor swelling and itching all the way up to what we would call a full body um, experience of anaphylaxis. And with med anaphylaxis, that is a medical emergency. And, and we'll talk more about that <clears throat> more specifically in another podcast. Now, what's interesting and things that we need to think about it, certain diseases can actually develop from an exaggerated immune response. So, for example, rheumatoid arthritis, there is a um, immune response in which the body attacks itself. And so that person ends up with swelling and joint pains and problems with the joints secondary to that immune response of it. It's just attacking itself. Now, next, I really want to talk about some interrelated <clears throat> concepts in related to um, immunity. So the first one that, of course, I think about is infection. Um, if we have um, the immune system, we expect it to respond in a certain re way and respond to infection. And so if we have someone who has suppressed immune system, as the nurse, um, that application of that is I'm going to be monitoring that CBC level, specifically looking for that white blood cell count, right? That's going to potentially elevate. 
<clears throat> and that's one of those things I'll monitor. Now, from an inflammation standpoint, um, with immunity, there is an inflammatory response. And think back to our mobility concept. When we talked about a couple labs, we talked about a C-reactive protein or erythrocyte sedimentation rate, the ESR. Both of those would show some inflammation. <clears throat> and if somebody was having an exaggerated response, those would be labs I would look at again. Now, of course, another interrelated concept is tissue integrity. Um, of course, thinking back to your probably your, your anatomy and physiology, you know that our skin is the first line of defense. And so if we have any break in that skin, um, there is an increased risk for infection and then that increased risk for that immune response happening. Nutrition also is important for immune response. Um, there's a, a variety of fruits and vegetables that can help um, improve our immune response. Specifically, um, foods that are high in antioxidants. So uh, things like berries, dark chocolate, almonds, those things help to pr protect the immune system. And of course, vitamins and minerals. Um, these are all things that we could educate our patients on. And then the last thing I really want you to think about is what happens during that immune response. <clears throat> so different antibodies and immunoglobulins, there's, there's different types and, that we can test for in the blood. And so if the levels are low in the body, we can't find infection like we want to, or if it's elevated, we can have that exaggerated or autoimmune response. <clears throat> so immuno, immunoglobulins test um, measure the um, immune response and um, antibodies are proteins that are made up by the body to fight an antigen and so remember antigens are those bad things like bacteria viruses and toxins <clears throat> different immunoglobulins fight different types of antigens so for example if you have been exposed to chickenpox you're going to have different um, antibodies for that than you would if you were exposed to mononucleosis <clears throat> Sometimes the body even produces antibodies against itself. Again, that's that like autoimmune response and it treats the healthy organs and tissues as invaders. And um, that would be considered like an exaggerated response. There are five subclasses of antibodies or antigens. Um, there are three of them that pretty much respond all the time. And so these are often measured together. So that would be your IgA, IgG, or IgM. Those in uh, the IgM is usually the first to respond. Um, by measuring these, it will give the healthcare provider information as to how a person is responding to infection or autoimmune diseases. Now, there's another one um, that's a little bit different than those, and that's the IgE. And so what's interesting about IgE is this helps us um, see allergic reactions. And so it, it activates mast cells, which we'll talk more about that when we talk about anaphylaxis. Um, if you have somebody who maybe has that allergy to nuts, um, and they said that they were exposed to it, um, we could measure to see if their, what their levels were, if they had low versus high levels of IgE. And that would support the um, process of knowing that there's the allergy to that peanuts. 
Of course, once the body produces an antigen, the body remembers the antigen with the next exposure, and then you end up with more and more antibodies. So sometimes the first time somebody is exposed to something that potentially they're allergic to, there may not be many symptoms. Um, but the next time the reaction may be more severe. So I think about my son who is allergic to penicillin. We actually did not even know he was allergic to penicillin until he was 10 years old. He was basically a very healthy kid. And so that second time he was on penicillin, he actually completely finished the course of antibiotics. And three days later, he ended up with a rash. And so luckily, I didn't just kind of blow off that rash. I took him into the healthcare provider because I honestly wouldn't have put the two and two together because he was completely finished with the antibiotics. Um, and if he would go to have it again, the next time he would have penicillin, the reaction would be more worse. So think about spina bifida where we talked about latex allergies. Um, that is a type four um, allergy. It occurs slowly over time. And, and nurses can develop latex allergies. I actually had a friend who had a baby and um, she was off for a while. She came back to the hospital and literally was just getting report, had not even been into a patient's room. And she started with some um, tingling in her tongue and some swelling in her tongue. She was having a, a major reaction to being exposed to the latex. <clears throat> and so that's why hospitals are moving more and more to that latex-free environments. So I hope this is a nice little beginning overview of immunity and be looking for the HIV podcast coming soon.